Hello and welcome to Talking SME, our quick fire chat with business leaders. I'm Jane O'Gorman and I'm very pleased today to welcome Polly Collingridge, Wellbeing Resources Associate for Your Employee Wellbeing. Hi Polly. Hi Jane. Hi, thanks so much for joining me on this lovely sunny day. You're very welcome. <laughs> Polly, we talk a lot about wellbeing and, and I guess from a business perspective, employee wellbeing. How would you define well-being? Yeah, well, it's an interesting one because well-being is actually a very multifaceted thing. Um, the Oxford Dictionary defines it as the state of being comfortable, healthy and happy. But that doesn't really reveal what a holistic thing well-being is. People think of mental or, or physical well-being, I think, when they think of well-being. But it, it's more complex than that. It includes social well-being, financial well-being, even career well-being, too. And they're all interlinked. I mean, we know that exercise um, improves our mood and that nutrition and, and our sort of mental state um, can be related, but um, our social well-being, and by that I mean the quality of our personal and professional relationships, mm. really helps our mental state as well. I mean, of course, we've, we've all become more aware of that since lockdown. Um, the thing with social well-being is that it really speaks to our sort of need to belong, um, to feel included, um, that need for recognition that we all have and, you know, to feel valued. Um, and I think that uh, employers who, who get this um, particularly and, and embed that sort of understanding into their policies and, and company culture will really see the rewards because ultimately well-being has a huge impact on performance. Mm. That's, that's really interesting. And Touching on the complexity there in terms of thinking about well-being, you know, emotional well-being, mental well-being, physical well-being, social well-being, financial career, all those different elements that come into play and that touch everyday life in all areas of our lives. And obviously we spend so much time in our working day. How important do you think it is, Polly, for, for a business to have a well-being strategy? taking all of those elements into consideration? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's very important. Um, first of all, that they understand, as we've just said, uh, what well-being really is mm. um, and, um, and how key it is to business success. I mean, the bottom line is poor well-being costs a company money, but, but good well-being among employees will, will really make them money. It's a spectrum. At one end, you've got mental illness, um, but at the other, you've got someone who's truly thriving uh, and able to perform to their potential without burning out and, and benefiting everyone around them, including the company they work for. Um, there's an incredible statistic. Um, I think it's according to the Mental Health Foundation. 70 million workdays were lost in 2019 to mental health issues. Wow. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to get our heads around these huge figures, isn't it? But especially mm. if you're a small company. Um, but what people need to understand is that absenteeism, presenteeism and a high turnover of staff due to poor well-being are, are really commonplace and expensive and, and actually really avoidable. So, um, you know, the greater the well-being of your employees, the more motivated, creative and, and better able to fulfill their potential they'll be. It's a kind of virtuous circle because the happier your workforce is the higher the caliber of staff you'll attract. And, and essentially it's important to have a proper strategy, not just a, a set of disjointed initiatives because a culture of well-being won't stick without one. A proper strategy 
um, will ensure that you get that sort of top-down, bottom-up buy-in, which is really crucial. Um, and you need a strategy to make sure that uh, the business case for well-being that we've just talked about has been effectively communicated um, and to make sure that your managers and leaders are capable of doing what they need to. And it doesn't matter whether they're big or small, you know, all companies um, need to do that. It's how you establish a culture of well-being. Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you think makes the biggest impact on employee well-being? Well, I think the biggest impact is created, you know, not so much by sort of fresh fruit Fridays or subsidized yoga. I mean, these things are really nice to have, but they're not going to help you create a culture of well-being in the workplace that's sustainable. I think the things that matter the most would probably be training for managers, um, making sure that there's psychological safety in the workplace. And that's a, a sort of buzzword at the moment. And I'm sure you're familiar with what it means. But just in case any listeners aren't, it's 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 really a prerequisite, according to Google research, uh, for teams to work effectively and, and kind of refers to sort of authentic communications amongst, um, you know, within a team, within, you know, amongst employees without fear of sort of failure or ridicule. So I'd say manager training, psychological safety, and then manageable workload and good work-life balance. Um, and the reason, the reason why managers um, really need to be capable um, is, uh, is so important is that so often people are promoted um, into managerial positions, totally untrained and unprepared. Um, and the art of good people management is, is really undervalued, but it's important because they will be modeling the right behavior, as I said, from the top down. Uh, you know, they will be establishing that the sort of conditions of psychological safety, and they'll also lead the way in good work-life balance. Um, small actions on the part of a good manager can make a really big difference in work-life balance and, and your sort of perception of workload. Um, for example, if you're conscious of your communication style as a leader, you can really help your, you know, the people you're responsible for. For example, if you like to catch up on emails late at night or at weekends, it's really good, a good idea to make time to make clear to those who report to you that you don't necessarily expect an immediate reply. Um, because otherwise you're, you know, you're making somebody really stressed feeling that they have to reply immediately when maybe that wasn't even your intention. So it's about being sort of empathic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, employers can really benefit from showing their staff that they know they have a life outside work. Um, yeah. And that they, they, I also think that companies and managers need to recognise what motivates people ultimately and what doesn't. Um, it's complex, but it needs to be kind of better understood. You know, research has shown, I think, by Mercer that a simple thank you at the right time can actually be more effective than um, financial rewards. Not to say that you know financial rewards don't have a place, but a good old fashioned email or call to say thank you in a personalized, meaningful way can actually be more effective. And that recognition of the sort of individual sense of purpose that we were talking about earlier is really powerful. Absolutely, and you make some interesting points there. Um, Polly, in terms of thinking about from the managerial perspective or you know, managing people, it's not necessarily a given and that perhaps mm. um, applying some budget or training around how to manage others, particularly when one thinks about career, career progressions and when, you know, <clears throat> you may not start in a managerial position, but move into one that gives people responsibilities and um, perhaps investing in that training that will allow managers to be more equipped in order to deal with their teams particularly when you think about some of the figures that you mentioned earlier 
in terms of the cost to business yeah and when that isn't managed well so it's a it's a really interesting point and I think also thinking about the the um transparency and openness you talk about top down bottom up and and I wonder if um although we've had a very very challenging year um given that we've all shared in the same challenges if that's hopefully created a little bit more openness and collaboration and and permission if you like to discuss how one feels do you think there has been a little bit of a shift in that I think so you know I think that with so many people on zoom calls and you know we've all seen inside people's houses people's children people's pets running around in the background you know that Absolutely. it's kind of broken down maybe a few barriers um if you like and sort of help facilitate certain sorts of conversations certainly the pandemic has really caused a, a paradigm shift in the way we work I'd say yeah, conversations that might not have happened before, I think. Mm, mm. Um, but but what, what, what do you think, you know, what do you think employees most want and need? I think, I mean, well, interestingly, Bupa conducted a, there was a, a sort of workplace wellbeing census in 2019 that they conducted, and this is obviously pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. and they found that amongst um, employees of small businesses, the most kind of desired changes in the workplace were flexible working, manageable workload, and more recognition. So interestingly those three changes mattered more than a higher salary and if you think about as we were just saying you know um now since the pandemic in a way that paradigm shift the way people um have been working you know more people working from home etc um has absolutely kind of moved those things to the forefront of the conversation even more um you know obviously there are pros and cons about working from home you know, whether you've got children in the background, whether you've got enough space, whether your Wi-Fi is good enough, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, I think that sort of flexi working, perhaps hybrid model, some days in the office, some days at home is probably here to stay. You know, mm -hmm. doing things differently um, has helped people realise what they want to change even more. But they were already identifying those things sort of before COVID hit. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, ultimately, you know, work-life balance is made easier by sometimes working from home because you save time on the commute. You know, you maybe find more quality time with family, perhaps more time to exercise, more time to spend outdoors. You know, the thing to really remember, I think, that employers need to remember is that time is our most precious resource. You know, it's something we all feel we never have enough of, and particularly mm -hmm. working parents and carers who incidentally make up one third of um, SME employees. Yeah. So it's like we all have those micro tasks to deal with on top of our day job, you know, what I tend to call life admin. And then on top of that, you've got those additional stresses, you know, to cope with as well. And it's often kind of chronic low, low level stuff. I don't know. Um, but occasionally it's sometimes huge crises, such as a family member being ill or a bereavement that comes out of the blue. And, um, you know, we need to be able to help employees on a, on a practical and emotional level um, deal with whatever life throws at them. You know, that could be not being able to conceive, getting a mortgage, you know, the death of a parent, whatever it is. We're all humans, not robots. And all that stuff just adds to the stress that we might be finding already in our work life and in, in connection with work relationships, targets, expectations, you know, whatever it is. And we know we need to make time for self-care. Like we, we sort of know what we're meant to do. You know, we need to eat well, we need to exercise but sometimes that just feels like something else to remember to yeah. do and that yeah. sort of adds to the stress and you know I suppose really what I'm thinking is that um what, what I think employees want and need is, is as much autonomy and flexibility as possible 
so that they can be free to juggle their work and their life as effectively and productively as they you know best can you know being in charge of that and for them to feel more fulfilled as well you know um to sort of and, and that's the, another interesting thing about the pandemic is that with many people also furloughed they've had a chance to sort of have a think you know is this what i want to be doing with my life and and many of them might think well no <laughs> yeah and and there's a couple of things gosh well there's several things there actually you've touched on and um i mean uh, you know to, to mention a few obviously time um and the fact that how precious time is and, and could that be managed slightly differently? You know, obviously what we have seen um, as a result of the, the, the last year is perhaps that commute time has converted into maybe a walk time or, yeah. you know, that we perhaps have been able to work slightly differently, still be able to deliver. Um, but to have just some time to be able to look, look after one's self and perhaps it's a different way of managing. But I think it's interesting in terms of that paradigm shift and what you mentioned, Polly, about, um, you know, being responsible for oneself and managing one's time. And, and I think because we've, you know, been in a situation where people have been working remotely or have had to manage their workload in a different way, um, with that comes certain empowerment and trust you know and mm. and if we look about you know in terms of what employees most want and time and flexibility comes into that then I think um, the empowerment is a very powerful tool but the trust to allow people to feel empowered really has got to be a big positive in terms of how businesses operate and and if you like move forward um in the months ahead no absolutely and I, and I think obviously some companies and some people find that trust easier than others um yeah uh, but yeah especially you know when you've had people not working you know in front of you necessarily but working from home but I think in the main most companies have found that productivity hasn't dipped at all from people working at, you know from home yeah and, and interestingly with that, if we take into the equation the fact that, you know, we have seen productivity, we have seen uh, people managing the workload, but actually we've been juggling so much more. So it's the resilience and the ability to cope with that too. But, but it's interesting you touched on um, some are more able to trust than others and what that means. But for you, what, what, what does a successful company look like? I think a successful company is one where employers are just in tune with what motivates their employees um, and and give them this, you know, um, freedom and responsibility that, I, that we've been talking about. You know, a company that values the importance of empathic and authentic communication, uh, where leaders aren't afraid to show their vulnerability, um, which is very much part of the whole psychological safety thing. Um, uh, where they're sort of living, you know, living the culture of well-being, um, sort of living and leading by example, um, and where they recognise that their employees have a life outside work. And I mean, uh, if budget allows, um, you know, the manager training and the educating of employees on things that matter to them um, is, I think, really the way forward, you know, for a company that's looking to implement a well-being strategy but doesn't have... Uh, you know, much of a budget for it, then I think it's really about um, working out how to make 
you know, working out what your employees want um, and and how to make their working and home lives easier. You know, uh, for example, at, at your employee well-being, we offer talks on a really eclectic range of topics because this is the reality of our lives. You know, it might be understanding burnout. It might, might be the key causes of back or shoulder pain. It might be the impact of stress on the body. It might be the cost of childcare or elder care, how to stop your kids being on the screen so much. You know, it's like, this is what we're all juggling. And just to sort of recognizing that, you know, whether you're a team leader or, or you know, or somebody just starting out in your career, you know, we've all got these different sorts of issues. Yeah. And, and that's a really interesting point. And I like the fact, you know, that you mentioned about living it, you know, so it's actually, a, if you like, um, a physical situation rather than just a, a strategy that's a piece of paper that should define how the business mm, operates, but that uh, really yeah. is very, very people focused from the top down that allows, that, that gives a permission, if you like, to have conversations and, and humanize, if you like. Um, yeah, that's and, and exactly that's it. Makes, makes sense, but is not always necessarily um, there, you know, and, um, and, and then I guess from that, by humanizing, by sharing, by listening, um, it can then bring benefits to a business and actually save costs at the same time. Absolutely. You know, it's not a well-being um, strategy shouldn't just be, uh, you know, on a sheet of A4 in a file somewhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it needs to be a living, breathing thing that's that's lived by by everybody. And if, um, you know, if in theory you have a generous holiday policy, but, uh, you know, your boss never takes holiday or always works through lunch, well, then you'll always feel bad taking holiday and you'll always work through lunch. You know, it's like um, we sort of the culture of a of a workplace is what's happening on the ground it's not what sort of sounds good um and written somewhere that nobody knows uh, nobody's read you know <laughs> so i think that's you know i'm not saying that you know um i mean not all companies do that but it can be a trap to fall into you sort of you just don't want it to be a tick box, box exercise it's got to be so much more than that yeah certainly leading by example yeah thank you polly that's so interesting thank you so much for that input if you could leave one final piece of advice or tip for business and for our listeners, what would it be? Well, it sounds obvious, but definitely listen to your employees before implementing any well-being initiatives uh, so that you really make sure you're you're catering to what they actually want. And, and remember to be human. You know, we've talked about this just now, you know. Yeah. Um, focus on improving those channels of communication and, and on and establishing that atmosphere of psychological safety uh, by being as authentic as possible yourself. So if you do that, then when you ask your employees, you know, what do you want, whether it's a survey or conversations or whatever it is, then they'll be honest about what they actually do want and need because they may not feel they can be if you, if you don't model that sort of openness yourself. That's a really good piece of advice, Polly, and conversation, you know, in terms of cost. <laughs> yeah because you know, so often people get hung up or think about oh what's the budget implication of this strategy and how much do we need to spend on doing this but actually behavior yeah it's actually taking the time it's taking the time rather than spending the money to just think about things a bit more carefully and think about how how communication works within your company absolutely great advice thank you so much Polly thanks for joining me today and for your this valuable chat it's thank been a you for talking with you my pleasure and to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed our talking SME. 
look out for future episodes coming soon.